Okay, if, uh, please turn your Bibles to the book of James. <clears throat> we'll be reading from chapter 1, uh, verses 2 to 4, and we're going to just jump down from 12 to 18. Okay, so when you get there, please rise, and so we'll be reading God's Word. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces a steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. All right, we'll move down to verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under a trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will be, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. This was a reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. Will you bow with me once more in prayer? Father in heaven, we thank you that this morning we get to hear from your word. And as you have told us in James, we ask boldly that you would make us wise by it, that you would lead us to the way that is everlasting, that you would teach us what it means to be steadfast in you. Lord, soften our hearts, open our ears, and give us more of you, we pray in your holy Son's name. Amen. Many of us are familiar with the usage and benefits of antibiotics particularly amoxicillin. Perhaps some of you guys, that's the first time you've heard it because growing up, you've always heard it referred to as amoxicillin. I was going to have a picture of my mom <laughs> saying amoxicillin. You know, that's how Koreans say it. And uh, I thought that'd be too much. So I just have a little picture, something to, to, to draw you in with. But amoxicillin, uh, oftentimes we know when we have a bacterial infection, it's prescribed to us. If you have children who have ear infections, like mine, we know that that is a very common antibiotic that is given. One very important rule that doctors and pharmacists always remind us as we receive this medication and take it is that we have to finish. We have to finish the regimen of amoxicillin, of antibiotics. Even if we take a few, and after a day we start to feel better, we're warned to continue to take it, to let it run its course and have its full effect. Likewise, in these difficult times of sickness, we see ourselves and sometimes even our children forced to slow down. Life seems to stop. And as the thickness and difficulties of, a, of an ailment starts to settle, we are able to focus on the simple things on life. In some ways, we're forced to find joy in the things that we once took for granted. 
such as staying home from school, spending time with our family, taking a break from work, relying on the help of others, thinking about important things in life. In a strange and beautiful way, when we are sick and facing trials, we experience a precious kind of joy in the midst of it all. Right? No one likes getting sick, but if we're honest, it often puts things into perspective for us. In many ways, this is what our text is getting at today. We spent the past few weeks in the first chapter of James, and today will be the last week in chapter 1. We'll start to move forward, but before we do, it's important that we understand one of the main things that James is addressing here in chapter 1. What may seem like a bunch of random things that he's saying, as he's addressing varieties of things, we see that chapter 1 starts out as an introduction for the rest of the book. So he'll go deeper into these things. But chapter 1 provides for us an introduction, a central theme and point as it pertains to the Christian life for the people of God here in the New Testament, as well as for you and I. And this is significant as we go into it. I want to reframe it a little bit for us. Again, we've been told week after week that James is a no-nonsense straight shooter, right? It's the type of person who doesn't want to waste your time. He gives you the hard truth right down the middle. Take it or leave it. And I think oftentimes when we hear about James and we read the things of James and when preachers refer to James or when we quote James to one another, we have this kind of uh, type A, straight shooter, almost agitatedness about us. Hey, let's cut the nonsense. you got to stop. And it almost feels like there's this aggression that comes at us when we, when we try to quote or live out the things of James. This type of hard-nosed insensitiveness that just only cares about the truth of God. But that's not the case. If we pause to think and just, just, just slow down, we see that the book of James and the way that James addresses the church, although it is direct, although it is no nonsense, is filled with much humility and with a meek type of boldness. And I think that ought to make us pause as we adjust our ears once more and our hearts to the tone of which these words come, to the tone in which perhaps we speak it and preach it to one another. Yes, it's direct. Yes, it's straight down the middle. But it's coming from a heart of genuine love, empathy, and care. We're going to focus on verses 2 to 4 today, but first I want to look at verse 1 again. Look up with me. This is what he says. Such a simple greeting. We can learn a lot from the details that are left out and even the generality of this greeting. Look at this. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. You already know. All right, this guy's not playing around. He's trying to get to a point, right? But first, who is James? James is the brother of Jesus, James the Just. He could have opened up his letter with a lot more credit, right, with a lot more affiliation, He could have opened it up with this intrinsic kind of drawn authority. James, I, the brother of Jesus, your Christ and your Lord, whom we worship, whom I've grown up with, whom I've seen as a baby, whom I live together with. Me, James, the brother of Jesus, writes to you. But he doesn't. He doesn't elevate himself as to draw authority 
by proximity of power so that he can speak boldly. He actually lowers himself and he says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we see all throughout the book of James is interesting because the, 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 one of the most common ways he refers to the church is brother and sister. And so instead of banking on this, this authority that, that we think that he can drive from just simply being close to Jesus, he actually calls himself a servant and relates to the church in such a humble way. And he says, beloved brothers and sisters. He interacts with the church. He interacts with the people of God with the intimacy he has in a humbleness as he draws upon his brotherly relationship with them. And so the words that we're about to hear from him come from a, a humble, meek, yet bold and simple man who does genuinely love and care for the people of God. Who is he addressing here? He's addressing the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Whenever we hear 12 tribes, there's this Old Testament understanding that it means all the people of God. The 12 tribes, right? He's not speaking to a certain select few. He's saying to the 12 tribes, everyone who belong to the people of God. He's addressing all Christians in the church. He's addressing you and I to the 12 church, to all God's people who are in the dispersion, he says, who are scattered, who are under persecution, who are under suffering and injustice and sickness and loneliness and pressure in this sin-fallen world. James speaks with an empathy as he relates to his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. James speaks with a humbleness as he knows what it's like to really struggle in faith. So one of the main things as we go into our main text two to four today that I want to point out is that when James speaks boldly, when he speaks simply and plainly, he doesn't do it with a mind of, I got to correct these people, this arrogant children in the faith. No, he does it with, hey, I know life is hard, and I know it's hard following God, but even still, let's live according to his word. Boom. Boom. And that's his entrance. So we're going to look at verse 2, verse 3, and verse 4, as well as some of the other verses, but we'll focus on those three verses. First, what does he say? He says, count it all joy. Look with me in verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Have you ever sat with someone who is going through a difficult time, a hardship? How many of you in that context lack the words to say? How many of you guys grasped mentally, what do I say to this person? How can I encourage them? How many of you guys had this very verse cross your mind yet say, I can't say something like that in the midst of their suffering? How many times do we say it, perhaps lacking the humility that we ought to have? Brothers and sisters, better yet, how many of us here as we're sitting here together in our Sunday best are going through a difficult time? James humbly and boldly, with empathy and love, says, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Are you suffering? Are you facing trials? Are you in a difficult place? The Word of God this morning says to you, count it all joy. Just like when sickness often slows us down and helps us find 
joy in the simple things in life. Trials slow us down so that we can focus on our relationship with God. Again, no one likes getting sick. No one likes facing trials. But the wise would recognize that it's in these times where we are refined in our identity, our purpose, and our hope. Again, this is addressed to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. This is addressed to all God's people who are going through various kinds of struggles. And I, and, and I love that he's general with this because he's not trying to escape the intense nature of trials, but by being general, he makes room for all of us, for all of our struggles. Count it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you face trials of various kinds. He's not saying it lightly. He's saying it all-encompassing. To every Christian who might be struggling, James speaks to you. To the parent trying to raise young kids, struggling with various kinds of trial daily. To the parents in the nursing room now, trying to worship while feeding and nursing and napping and keeping quiet. To the parents who are struggling with their kids' anxieties, and their developments, and of their future, and what that will look like. To the parents who are struggling with ailments, and mental health, and physical struggles, as you're also giving life and pouring into your own children. To the parents who are constantly worried about finances and security for their family. To the parents who feel like they're losing their own identity and purpose in light of parenthood. To the parents who are so concerned and worried the difficulties our children may face, James says to you, count it all joy in these various trials. To the retired and empty nesters who have finally arrived in life but still feel so lost, James speaks to you. You who have enough savings but aren't sure what to spend it on. You who ask, now what? You who ask, is this it? You who are looking back with regrets, with guilt, with heavy nostalgia, you who are yet still yearning to live and to move forward, to find new adventures and new hope. James says to you, if you're retired, you're an empty nester, and you thought this was going to be so different, yet you're sitting here, now what? And you're facing even now trials as you've matured in age. Not much has changed in difficulty of life. James says to you, count it all joy. To the younger brother and sisters who are in college, who are working the grind, James says to you, as you face your various kinds of struggles with your purpose in life, your worth, your value, wondering what's next, what job to take, what major to change into, what school to go to, to you who are trying to find yourself in the world with the bombardment of everyone telling you who you ought to be, to the young adults who feel less than everyone else for some strange reason, perpetually, as you navigate this world. For you who are going through counseling, wondering, is anyone as messed up as I am? For everyone, for all the 12 tribes, for all of God's people who are scattered, who are suffering, who are struggling, who are under trial, James says to us, brother and sister, count it all joy. Count it all joy. Can we, with eyes of faith, see that though it is difficult, in God's sovereign hands, He is actually leading us to joy? 
You know, difficulty and trials are often the way by which we can see with eyes of faith. And those of you who have experienced those moments can testify to it. This means that trials aren't a bad thing. When the world would say, you know what, everything is going wrong, something's not right, the wisdom of God would say, no, trials is a part of life. That's why in verse 12, if you look up with me again, it says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. I know things are less than ideal, but when the world says something is wrong, you need to fix it, God says, no, you are blessed. Be steadfast. I'm with you. Isn't that difficult but comforting to hear? Where the world is so quick to offer solutions. The Bible doesn't minimize or diminish our trials and difficulties like it's some glitch in the matrix. It recognizes the trials and the reality of a sin-fallen world where everything is affected by sin, where life is filled with so many trials, yet it says, I know it's hard, but you are blessed. It won't be like this forever. Count it all joy. In fact, trials, again, are what opens our eyes of faith to see God working in spiritual ways. So the first thing James says as he opens up, and, and you, can, you, can, you can see the shift, perhaps, in the tone. He doesn't say, stop, suck it up, count it all joy. To all God's people who are in the dispersion, who are struggling, count it all joy. There's a deep empathy. There's a deep acknowledgement. God acknowledges our trials and our difficulties. So then the second thing, verse 3, look up with me. Count it all joy in the various kinds of trials, right? Why? In verse 3, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. I love that James says, for you know. What does this mean? This means it's, 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 there's some commonality. There's an accepted understanding for the people of God. Right? It should give us a boldness to speak this truth to one another because it's telling us we already know it deep down in our hearts, right? When James says, for you know, it's saying, hey, you already know this. It's not some, some, some mystical knowledge, some spiritual thing. He's saying, you know this. You know that trials are hard, but you know when you count them joy, and you know when you're steadfast, that it will lead to joy. He banks on a deep truth that is implanted in us by the Word of God as He leads us. He says, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. It's like, let's, let's state this obvious truth and let's put it out there. You know this. You know it deep down. That the tough times are the actual times that draw us closer to God. And then James goes on to talk about testing. And here James seems to draw a distinction between trials and temptations. If trials lead to steadfastness, we see in verse 13 to 15 that temptations often lead to sin and death. Look at verse 13 to 15 with me on the screen. So he has established what trials are and how we should respond to them. But in light of temptation, this is what he says. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is 
conceived gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth to death. What James is doing here, he's drawing a distinction in the difficulty of life. There are some things that are considered trials. These are the ways the Lord tests us and grows us and matures us in our faith. Yet there is another aspect of difficulty that we face in temptation, right? And James is saying, when you're faced with temptation, you got to realize this isn't coming from God. This is coming from a place where there is a sinful desire in your heart, and as you see it, as you behold it in thought in your hand, whether it's tangible or intangible, whether you have it yet or you desire it, temptation is when the sinfulness inside of you desires to go after it and yearns for it, and you, you idolize it, and you want it so bad that your life is miserable. That's, that's not from God, James is saying. That's from your own sinfulness. And so he's saying, if your life is miserable and you're going through a tough time because you realize you're chasing after something, you're chasing after it so much that that you love it more than God, that you love it more than your family, that you're chasing after in such a way that you're yearning and pulling and, and, and desiring after it, then that is not trials. That's falling into temptation. And that's a call to repentance, to come back to him. So James wants to make that clear. There's a difference. But trials, he preserves this in a, in a holy light. If you're facing trials, if you're living faithfully, trying to fight sin, if you are struggling again in all those areas of life, count it joy. So there's this basic principle that James seems to draw out. If you're facing trials, lean into it. If you're facing temptations, run from it. Trials lean into it. Temptations run from it. Verse 16 and 17 continues here in James. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. What's James saying here? We can then say that trials are a gift from God. That's a difficult pill to swallow, isn't it? If temptation is not of God, then trials, in a particular way, are from God. In fact, it is a gift from God. In fact, it is a way that you and I can grow in our faith and know that our faith is being purified and enriched and matured It's a way that you and I have a sense and awareness that we are becoming more like Jesus. God gives the gift of trials to test our faith. Why? So that it would produce steadfastness. I want to camp on this word here for a minute. What does it mean to be steadfast? We hear, right, God is steadfast, His love is steadfast, Christians, brother and sister, let's be steadfast. What does it mean? The word steadfast, the word being implemented and, 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 and used here is trying to give us this sense, steadfast meaning perseverance, meaning endurance, meaning ability to withstand and remain under pressure. Steadfast means a steadiness under stress. Right? It's, it's not just simply patience, but it's a long endurance. 
A commentator noted that it's, it's, it can be considered staying power, right? The power to stay, to endure. And if I can just put it most simply, probably for our culture and our context, it's godly grit. So what does it mean to be steadfast? What does it mean when, it, when, when he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness? He's saying that trials help us to grow in such a way that it produces an endurance, an ability to stay under pressure, an ability to stay put under heavy load. It gives us a godly grit to trust, to obey, even though waves of life are crashing down, to remain steadfast under pressure. Dun, 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 this is what David Bowie and Queen say about being under pressure. <laughs> Modern day prophets. Pressure pushing down on me. Pressure pushing down on you. No man ask for. Under pressure that brings a building down, splits a family in two, puts people on streets. That's okay. That's the terror of knowing what this world is about. Watching some good friends screaming, let me out. Pray tomorrow gets me higher. Pressure on people, pressure on streets. And these artists, these musicians are describing the type of pressure that you and I often face in life. And even though I don't know where they stand before the Lord, they're able to recognize, at least by common grace, that living in this world, which we know to be sin-fallen, is hard. There are a lot of pressures. Yet count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces staying power. It produces endurance. It produces steadfastness. It produces godly grit. It produces a man and a woman who's able to withstand heavy pressure as it's building and building and building. It's refining you. It's toughening you up. It's giving you strength. It's giving you hope. It's giving you the ability to take on waves crashing after waves crashing after waves crashing on top of you. To stand in the Lord. To fight the pressure. And this is what James is telling the Christians who are scattered, who are enduring all various kinds of difficulties. To remain steadfast, to count it all joy in times of trials. Some of you guys know what this means. And it's much the same in the Christian faith. In football, we're taught if the offensive lineman if you feel pressure here, right, I gave this illustration before, we're always taught to fight pressure, fight pressure. That means if they want to steer you this way, you got to fight that pressure and go that way. They don't want you to go that way, but you got to fight pressure, fight pressure, fight pressure. Defense and basketball, you know, if you're right-handed, I'm going to force you to try to go left. I'm going to pressure you this way, so you're going this way. Right? Pressure, pressure, pressure. You gotta recognize it and you fight that. Pressure, pressure, pressure. You gotta recognize it and know that you gotta go this way or that way. You gotta remain. You gotta fight. You gotta pray. You gotta endure. You gotta remain steadfast under pressure. Pressure. On the birth of our third baby, I should have asked permission. I haven't, but I'm gonna give the illustration anyway. On the birth of our third baby, I'm sorry, honey. We did not make it on time. Well, I guess I drove too slow. My wife got there at a point where she wasn't able to receive the epidural. 
so she gave the birth all naturally. <laughs> and boy, it really is a scene out of the movies. Our first two children, my wife had the epidural, and it was tense, but it was like there was a, there was a stillness. The third one, it was tense and it was crazy. Right? Everything's happening. My wife's laying there with the mask on. I'm holding her hand, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. Don't faint, don't faint, don't faint. And, and the doctor's like, pressure, 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 push, push. If you feel the pressure, you got to push. And my wife's like, oh, my God. I'm like, oh, my God. Push. She's like, pressure, 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 push. You know what it's like to feel pressure at work with the emails, with the expectations, with the yearly reviews, and pressure's coming, pressure's coming. Even in those moments, don't you wish you could be steadfast? Don't you wish you could endure? Don't you wish you had staying power to be still in the Lord? This is the type of steadfastness that James is getting at. Whether you're giving birth to a child, whether you're playing sports, whether you're at the workplace, whether you're a parent all day long, your children are like, Daddy, Dad, Dad, hey, Dad, look at this, look, Dad, 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 hey, look at this, hey, hey Dad, Dad, Dad. And you're just like, pressure, pressure, Dad, 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 Dad. You're like, oh, pressure. What? I'm trying to sermon prep. You already know it's too late. Oh, you got to repent. Pressure. You know, as a parent, a million things are going at once. There's, there's a th- baby throwing up. There's a, another kid pooping. And there's, there's chicken nuggets all over the ground. The dog's going crazy. Pressure, 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 pressure. Some of you guys are under pressure in other really difficult, silent, serious ways. And James has counted all joy. Because... It's going to produce a steadfastness. It's going to give you staying power. It's going to give you godly grit. God giveth no man trials, yet withholds his strength to sustain. I don't know, I just made that up. It sounds, it sounds like some theologian, right? God doesn't give anyone trials without the strength for them to endure. And this is why in Psalm 118, verse 1, it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. And so this is one of the most important things I can say right now. Because as much as we've talked about staying power, godly grit, remaining under stress, The most important thing I can tell you about that context and moment is that it cannot be done on your own strength. Whether you're a mom, a dad, a brother, a sister, an employee, an employer, a student, a friend, playing sports, whatever it is, it's not on your strength. Steadfastness isn't produced from within. Steadfastness, as you endure trials, is produced through the Holy Spirit that is working in you as you trust in God, God who is steadfast. He is the anchor. He is the source 
of staying power, of godly grit, of strength, of endurance, of patience. That's why the Christian is called not to simply endure on their own strength, but count it all joy, knowing that it's a gift from God, because he's producing in you a godly character, which he has, which is steadfastness now in you, as you are struggling in your contest, as you are faced in trials. So thank God for trials. It's a gift that makes us more like him. The last point, James goes on in verse 4. And let steadfastness have its full effect. This is the tough part. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Just like the antibiotics, James says, hey, brothers and sisters, we're not called just to endure for a little bit. We're not called to endure for a little and then we feel better and we can stop. We need to let steadfastness have its full effect. Continue to endure. Continue to persevere. Continue to rely on God for this staying power as everything seems to be shifting under you. Brothers and sisters, to be honest, this is all good and dandy. We've had a few laughs. Perhaps some of us are inspired and a little encouraged, hopefully. But the truth is, as we leave these doors, the pressures will remain. The difficulties of the world will come. And trials will continue to be a reality that you and I will have to face. And we are going to need God's staying power. We're going to need his sustaining power so that it may have its full effect. Where did this staying power come from? We said the source is God, but more specifically, it comes from none other than Jesus Christ himself, who had the power to stay on the cross. He had the power to stay on the cross. When the world saw that as weakness, we realized that it is Christ's power to stay on the cross. It would have been easy for him to call a legion of angels. It would have been easy for him to buckle under the trials of the Father. It would have been easy for him to give into the devil's temptations in the wilderness. Yet, he was steadfast. He had staying power. He was steadfast even to the point of death on the cross as he was crucified. And he stood there. He exercised his heavenly power to stay and endure the cross. Why? So you and I can stand and be forgiven. What hope do you and I have in experiencing a staying power? Well, we have that hope because Jesus Christ, our Savior, had the power to stay on the cross for our sins. He bore the full justice, the full wrath, so that you and I can stand under pressure, under trials, under difficulties, under doubt. It's Jesus that allows us to have godly grit. It's Jesus that calls us And reminds us that we can be weak because he is strong and he makes us strong. In James 1.18, the final verse that we've read, it says, Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth. 
that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation, of sorry, of his creatures. Jesus was steadfast under the sin of the world so that we can lay those burdens down at his cross. Jesus stayed on the cross so that we can stand in God's presence as forgiven, beloved brothers and sisters of Christ. This is speculation, so maybe it shouldn't be said, but perhaps a reason why James doesn't self-identify himself as the brother of Christ is because he wants us to all know that we are all brothers and sisters of Christ, of Jesus Christ, who had the staying power so that we can stand in him. And so it's been said many times that Jesus is considered to be the first fruits of the resurrection. And here in verse 18, we're told that we in him will be a kind of first fruits. It's relating us to Jesus. It's saying that as Jesus is the first fruit under pressure, even of the grave who was resurrected, that we too will be a kind, just like Jesus, even under the pressure of sin and death and the grave, to be raised again in new life. This is why in verse 12, and our guest speaker a couple weeks ago, said, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God had promised to those who love him. The crown of life here is referred and is linked to the same crown, the wreath that is imperishable that Paul refers to in Corinthians as he talks about running the race as a Christian, as he talks about running a marathon, as he talks about fighting temptation and beating his body and making it its slave so that as he has preached to others while running this race, he himself do not disqualify for the prize. It's the same crown of life, an imperishable wreath, that Christ has secured and gives to us. Beloved brothers and sisters, I know there are many trials that we are facing, but I want to, as humbly as I can, with as much empathy, yet with meekness and boldness, say, count it all joy. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing in our Lord Jesus Christ who will raise us up on that day with him. The reality is being a Christian doesn't make life easier, but it makes life a lot more joyful and hopeful. So a final word for those perhaps who are not considered yet in the 12 tribes of God, who are not yet Christians, who do not yet believe This is the truth that we as Christians do believe. This is the truth that we hold on to, that in Jesus, even the difficult times are renewed in such a way where we can find genuine joy, not rainbows and butterflies, but joy, a deep joy, that in Jesus we can withstand the pressures of this world, and that in Jesus we can stand before God, holy, redeemed, and as a new creation. So my word to you is, will you believe in him? Friends, will you join me in prayer?